Jerome Hudson, Breitbart News Entertainment Editor, author of the book 50 Things They Don't Want You to Know About Trump. This is the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. The U.S. southern border is wide open under President Joe Biden with a record-shattering 6.9 million illegal aliens estimated to flood in by 2023. House Democrats have done something amazing, elevating one of the country's leading election deniers, Congressman Hakeem Jeffries, as their new leader. Anti-lockdown protests in China are rising in the face of the brutal communist regime, asked if he supports the anti-lockdown protesters, many of whom are being forced to make Apple products. Apple CEO Tim Cook had nothing to say. Senator Marsha Blackburn is pushing a bill to break up Apple and Google. Florida is the latest state to pull billions in assets away from the Chinese communist mega-asset firm BlackRock over that company's push for radical environmental policies. Twice-failed Georgia Democrat gubernatorial candidate Stacey Abrams could be the next member of the Federal Communications Commission. We discuss all of that and more on today's show. start here, though, uh, because this th- th- what is happening on our border uh, is the changing of, of America. And in some ways, I do believe the destruction of our country. If you don't have a secure border, uh, in some ways, you're just not really a country at all. Like if you don't have a, a security system in your home and people could just walk in and eat your food and kick up their feet and watch your your your, your TV and just use your facilities. I mean, you don't you don't have a home, certainly not in the way that I don't know, 99.9% of us actually view a safe, secure domicile. And that's our border right now, or that's not our border right now. It's not safe and it's not secure. Um, this is a report from Breitbart's John Bender. John Bender notes that Joe Biden's wide open, quote, wide open United States, Mexico border is expected to see 2.6 million border crosses and illegal aliens apprehended next year. So 2023, a new analysis projects. So over the year 2021, an individual named Stephen Kaputz, a Kaputz with the Princeton Policy Advisors. I recognize that organization because I I quoted uh, from their past studies in my first book when I was talking about immigration. Uh, they, 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 I believe, crunched the numbers and estimated in, 20, uh, in 2019 or 2020 that over 100,000 women and girls would be sexually assaulted while making the trek from South America to the United States southern border. So that's the Princeton Policy Advisors. They're still crunching num- numbers, and as John Bender reports, they are projecting that about 2 million border crossers and illegal aliens will be apprehended in 2023. By this year's end, Kaputz projects about 2.3 million people will be apprehended. These estimates do not include the hundreds of thousands of potential and potentially millions who will essentially successfully cross the southern border. So you got Many of the illegal aliens turning themselves into Border Patrol agents. Once that happens, Border Patrol agents question them, get whatever information they can glean from these individuals. You have Health and Human Services uh, officials who run a battery of medical tests on these individuals. They give the girls and the women pregnancy tests, STD tests, because, yes, they are routinely sexually assaulted. Either that is how they pay their way to the southern border or it just happens horrifically. Um, They are then put into the system and then they are then placed into overcrowded facilities, cages, yes, that's right, cages, built by Bush, built uh, by Clinton, built by Obama, who expanded the cages. Um, And we're talking about millions of these people. So there are some who are apprehended because they turn themselves in. There are others who are apprehended because of the dutiful work of Border Patrol agents. There are others, and I will get to those horrific numbers, tens of thousands a month who get away. 
who are never come in contact with Border Patrol agents. Bender continues, now the Princeton policy advisors projects that Biden's policies will see 2.6 million border crossers and illegal aliens apprehended along the border in 2023. That's just the ones apprehended. Again, there are literally hundreds of thousands who are not apprehended. This would, in 2023, that 2.6 million border crossers and illegal aliens apprehended would shatter a record for annual level of illegal immigration. Bender continues, if the projections pan out, some 6.9 million border crosses and illegal aliens will have been apprehended at the border since 2021 to 2023 under Joe Biden. This is a foreign population just 2 million short of New York City's residential population. What we are currently looking at since February 2021 As Congressman Michael Waltz joined the program and said yesterday, we're looking at two Jacksonville's worth of people. Now, you get outside of the beautiful city that I call home, you get about 1.5 million people when you add in St. John's County and Duval County and in other surrounding areas proper. We're already at about 3 million border crosses and illegal aliens who've been apprehended. And, and and have crossed again that that number doesn't include the gotaways um let me get the byline on this one here oh, i want to give credit where it's due it's a double byline by brandon darby's uh, all-stars bob price and reporter randy clark who's got over you know three decades of border patrol uh duty under his belt Those two uh, men report that Border Patrol agents apprehended nearly 206,000 migrants who crossed the border illegally between ports of entry in November. So over 200,000 apprehensions in the month of November alone. Bob Price and Randy Clark report that this represents an increase of nearly 21%. Over the record setting, 167,000 migrants apprehended in November of 2021. So the situation obviously is getting worse. And you, I guess you have to ask yourself, when's the last time you even heard even Jerome Hudson mention illegal immigration and border crossings? I have to uh, 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 beg your forgiveness. I, I, I know it came up, obviously, because I just mentioned the aforementioned conversation that I had with the Florida congressman yesterday. But the point is, the situation is getting exponentially worse, quite literally in the mathematical sense. And our conversation, at least the national conversation that I've noticed, seems to be shrinking on the absolute destruction of our immigration system under Joe Biden and Alejandro Mayorkas, DHS secretary. Okay, I'll stay focused here because you may or may not be able to tell. I am trying not to blow up right now for the third straight month. Randy Clark and Bob Price continue migrant apprehensions along the U.S. southern border with Mexico increased. Agents apprehended 206,000 migrants who crossed from Mexico into the U.S. during the first two months of fiscal year 2022, which began on October 1st. So the last two months, October and this past November, Border Patrol agents apprehended nearly 410,000 migrants in these nine Southwest border sectors. During the same period in fiscal 2021, agents apprehended approximately 326,000. So again, the situation is getting exponentially worse. This year, 2022 apprehensions in October and November represented an increase of nearly 26%. Yes, it does get worse. This from, uh, I think, Republican National Committee research According to new reports from Fox News, there were at least 73,000 known gotaways in November alone. That's a conservative estimate. There could have been more. That breaks down to nearly 1,200 illegal aliens who do not come in contact with Border Patrol agents per day. 1,200 per day. That's an increase over 2021 fiscal year. So 1,600 per day, that is the average gotaway for fiscal year 2022, which again started on October 1st. Um, 
obviously the border isn't secure. This is intentional because there is no way that you could a- accidentally have a border that is so flagrantly unprotected. Um, the, uh, the, 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 what happens to these people, it should be noted is that they turn themselves in, they go through the rigmarole that I just explained. And many of them are thrown into our, our federal immigration court system. Uh, they're given cell phones. I think they're still doing ankle bracelets, but I think that's sort of going away. You got tech companies like Uber and Lyft giving these individuals rides, their bus to cities. Greg Abbott and Ron DeSantis are doing their best to to send these people to Democrat areas, sanctuary cities, where they'll be welcome, as the individuals in those sanctuary cities have told us they will be. But in many cases, you're adding thousands, hundreds, maybe even tens of thousands of people to local communities who are still struggling two years after the pandemic to actually fend out the resources to American citizens. Food agencies, adoption agencies, law enforcement, local police. I mean, the, 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 the Mexican cartels are in control of the United States southern border. These multi-billion dollar terrorist organizations pushing Chinese-made fentanyl over the border, killing untold amounts of Americans. These Mexican cartels are working in tandem with gangs operating right here in the United States. And when's the last time the president of the United States, the, the border czar herself, Vice President Kamala Harris, were even asked about it? I don't know either. (laughs) I don't think it was recent. But oh, yes, please, let's send billions more dollars to Ukraine. Something that the president has been asked about, I'm sure, more recently than the immigration crisis. And that he gleefully has answered and and responded and answered questions on. Um, So uh, something amazing happened. Um. Uh, just uh, a few uh, short uh, hours ago, uh, Hakeem Jeffries uh, is Democrat congressman, uh, and he is now the new leader uh, uh, for the House Democrats, who will be in the minority in January 2023. So this is the Democratic Party fully and wholly embracing election denial by making Hakeem Jeffries the leader of the minority uh, Democrat Party in the House. Uh, So Hakeem Jeffries isn't unique to election denialism. Joe Biden did it. Kamala Harris did it. So many Democrats, just frankly too many to name on this program. Um, Al Gore did it after he lost to George W. Bush. So many members of the media. But let's focus on Hakeem Jeffries. It's his time to shine in the sun. Because he's the new House Democrat minority leader. Uh, Hakeem Jeffries, what has he said? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Quote, there is a cloud of illegitimacy around the election of Donald Trump, end quote. Uh, Hakeem Jeffries also said that, quote, legitimacy, end quote, of the 2016 presidential election was, quote, in doubt. A cloud of legitimacy hanging over Trump. There, the more we learn about 2016 election, the more illegitimate it becomes. And on and on and on. Republicans cheated, he said. Ooh, Jeffrey suggested multiple congressional seats were, quote, stolen by rogue Republican operatives, end quote. So this guy has just run the gamut of all the craziness that it only seems that the left wing media tried to say that Republicans are peddling. Um, interesting stuff. The new the new leader of House Democrats is a flagrant and open, uh, repeated election denier. And we will call him that because it, it appears that he would like to be recognized as such. Um, there's some good news. Florida Chief Financial Officer Jimmy Petronas announced on Thursday that the state would start to pull two billion in assets away from BlackRock 
due to the state's op- opposition to the company, BlackRock's major push into environmental, social, and governance policies. The so-called ESG policies at Breitbart News has been the first and out on the forefront of reporting on because they're so dangerous and anti-profit and anti-business. So Florida's CFO's $2 billion divestment is the most significant anti-ESG divestment to date, Breitbart's Jacob Bliss reports, as Republican states have started to take a stand against this type of left-wing activism in financial investing. So Florida CFO Patronus explained in a press conference release that the state's treasury would immediately have Florida's custody bank freeze approximately $1.4 billion worth of long-term securities and remove them from the management of approximately $600 million worth of short-term overnight investments. That is how you fight back, and that is how you win. What is BlackRock? Well, headed by Larry Fink, who is quite almost, almost literally an appendage of the Chinese Communist Party state. And that president, that uh, country's dictator, Xi, BlackRock, I think BlackRock has under its management probably a trillion dollars. But as Jacob Bliss notes, there have been several states that have been divesting billions of dollars from BlackRock. Um, and this is just this is this is this is so good to see. I mean, I think there are 30 Republican legislators or governors. I mean, if if all of them do it, uh, you, you're you're looking at you're looking at a situation in which you know Larry Fink, BlackRock, they don't they don't change, um, but 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 shareholders start to get worried. You know the profit margins start to shrink, <laughs> and 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 the the, the 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 sort of machinations in the decision tree uh, of of the uh, of the company BlackRock, which is basically doing the bidding of China, certainly start to change. So you've had Louisiana do it, Virginia and Utah, Arkansas and Missouri, all pulling funds from BlackRock. Um, it's good to see. It's good to see. Let's keep it going, uh, guys. Uh, I, 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 it's, it's, this is, this is Christy Nome in South Dakota, you know, banning TikTok from all state employees and state contract workers. That's how we push back. That's how we fight back. It's good to see it. Uh, exclusive, Senator Marsha Blackburn pushes bill to break up Apple, Google, and the apps, uh, app duopoly. This from Breitbart's uh, superstar, Sean Moran, our man inside of Washington. Senator Marsha Blackburn told Breitbart News in an exclusive interview Wednesday that her legislation to break up Apple and Google App Store duopoly, which could still pass during Congress's lame duck section. So so Blackburn is saying, um, as Apple was at the time reportedly threatening, I don't think they are, to remove Twitter from the Apple App Store. Uh, she has a plan out there to break these massive companies up. Um, that, that, that's good news. I, I don't know how likely her bill is to pass, but boy, I wish she could just sneak it in there, maybe as an amendment or something. Speaking of Tim Cook, I don't know if I've ever talked about Tim Cook in my life as much as I have this week, but he is the CEO of Apple, and it is absolutely important. So, as I've mentioned. Tim Cook has been making the rounds on Capitol Hill, talking to uh, high-ranking Republican officials and Democrat congressmen and senators. Because more more pointedly, Republicans like Jim Jordan uh, is about to become the chair of the House Judiciary Committee. And Jim Jordan, in that position, would be overseeing critical antitrust debates and bills that Tim Cook cares a whole lot about. Because like his company and other tech companies, those bills could curtail... Tim Cook's ability to do business in the murderous communist regime of China. So Tim Cook's on Capitol Hill and he's being grilled by reporters and uh, politicians. And so Fox Business says that they caught up with the Apple CEO Tim Cook on Thursday as he arrived for meetings with lawmakers on Capitol Hill. Cook, asked by Fox Business, Fox Business reports, whether he supported the Chinese people's right to protest, 
His thoughts on the factory workers being beaten and brutalized by authorities. Tim Cook apparently remained silent. Cook further remained silent, Fox Business continues, when asked if he regretted Apple reportedly restricting airdrop access so that protesters use that technology to evade surveillance of the Chinese police state. Uh, Cook also refused to comment on whether he stood by his company's business dealings with the mass-murdering Chinese Communist Party. The quiet meetings, Fox Business reports, will provide the first indication of how lawmakers plan, plan to handle tech giants. I don't think Tim Cook did himself or Apple or all the tens of thousands of people who work for that company any favors. But you know what, Tim Cook being silent on whether or not he supports the mass beatings of Chinese factory workers who are who are making iPhones and other Apple products being forced to, to stay in the facility where they could either commit suicide or work under slave conditions. Tim Cook being silent on all of that, whether or not he supports those people's rights, their basic human rights. He he's not doing Apple any favors, but he's certainly doing the bidding of the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, Tim Cook is is I have to, uh, Tim Cook's probably the face of U.S. tech companies. I mean, Apple's uh, you know maybe Google is used billions of times, sadly, by all of us. But I mean, to, uh, Apple products are everywhere, and you know uh, Tim Cook is the face of that company, and the face of that company, or should I say more pointedly, the mouth of Apple is silent when asked simple questions. I mean, there are people making products that have quite literally made you and everyone else <laughs> who works for Apple or who, are, or who buys Apple stock and invests in Apple filthy rich. Do you support the Chinese Communist Party barbarically beating the hell out of the factory workers who are making Apple products? Do you have anything to say about that, Tim Cook? Silent, reportedly. Speaking of all-stars, John Hayward, Breitbart uh, deputy world editor, is reporting a fresh protest sweeping China. John Hayward reports that police in white hazmat suits <laughs> clash with anti-lockdown protesters in, Chinese, in the Chinese city of Gongzhou, on Tuesday and Wednesday, providing evidence that uprisings continue despite mounting threats of a brutal crackdown. So the Chinese security officials actually used the word crackdown on Tuesday, teasing a Tiananmen Square style ending of the biggest protest movement to sweep China since the 1989 student uprising and massacre, John Hayward reports, which might very well have toppled the communist regime had it not resulted in mass murder against the demonstrators and then pressured the civilized world into intervening. So the White House has routinely been asked. I think NSC spokesperson John Kirby has deflected. He said the protesters speak for themselves. I don't know if Joe Biden has been asked directly or Kamala Harris, who was just in the region recently. Um, but the White House is basically silent on this as well. Of course they are. It's the Joe Biden White House. And Joe Biden's family is making millions of dollars right now, today, working with the murderous communist Chinese regime. So, of course, the White House is silent. Are you sitting down? Well, you might want to. This is just a report. Um... But you have to believe it's true because the rumor mill in Washington, D.C. is apparently a buzz. OK, are you sitting yet? OK, Stacey Abrams is lobbying the Biden administration to be the next FCC nominee. That is the Federal Communications Commission nominee. Um, uh, so uh, Sean Moran, the aforementioned twice failed Georgia Democrat gubernatorial candidate Stacey Abrams is now lobbying the Joe Biden White House to be the next nominee for the, the FCC. FCC nominee Gigi Sons' confirmation vote has been put on the back burner as Senate Democrats. One member majority has struggled to find a way to confirm her. So in comes Stacey Abrams. Oh, man. 
I, I, I don't want Stacey Abrams to go away, but I certainly don't want her to pop up in some sort of position of power in Washington. And I certainly don't want her to be anywhere near the FCC. Um, uh, that, that one's a little scary, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll stay on top of it for sure. Um, okay, I, I have waited long enough and I actually beat the time that I that I asked uh, producer Zach to to weigh in if I didn't get to this story. Um, on yesterday, Kanye West joined uh, the Alex Jones show. Uh, it was an absolute uh, feat in insanity that I was prepared for. And as I'm trying to convince producer Zach, we just have to tell ourselves that when it comes to Kanye West, it could get worse. And yesterday it did. I mean, he embarrassed himself. He embarrassed his family. He embarrassed anybody who depends on him for a, a paycheck. And I think he sealed his fate. Mm, there is no coming back from that. As, as, as one very smart person texted me. There is no coming back from what Kanye West uh, did yesterday. Let's just let you hear uh, from the man himself. Producer Zach, I'm just going to give you uh, the pick of the litter here. Play whatever crick, uh, clip first that you think uh, represents the day that Kanye West had in the hours that he spent on Alex Jones's show. The, the so-called crime doesn't deserve the punishment. What did I, I thought? That's right. You're not Hitler. You're not a Nazi. You don't deserve to be called that and demonized. Well, I, I see, I, I see good things about Hitler. Also the Jew, I love everyone and Jewish people are not going to tell me you can love, um, you know, us, and you can love what we're doing to you with the contracts. And you can love what we're, you know, what we're pushing with the pornography. But this guy that invented highways, invented the very microphone that I use as a musician, you can't say out loud that this person ever did anything good. And I'm done with that. I'm done with the classifications. Every human being has something of value that they brought to the table, especially Hitler. So there you go. Um... Of course, Kanye has the right to say this, um, and you never know what a what's in a person's heart or what a person thinks or believes, um, which is also different. But, you know, it, it, this is Kanye West. This is Kanye West on that same show said that he popularized anti-Semitism. Quote, people in high school didn't know what anti-Semitism meant until I made it popular. Um, he is saying this in a gleeful manner. I know this because I watched about 96% of the interview. Kanye West praised Hitler's aesthetic and style and then claimed Hitler wasn't responsible for the Holocaust. Quote, he had a really cool outfit and he was a really good architect. And he didn't kill 6 million Jews. That's just like factually incorrect. Um... I, I, I don't even know where to go from there. Cut six. I'm just saying, I don't like Nazis, and I don't like what some of the mafias are doing either. I Whether like Hitler. I like Hitler, Kanye West said. Uh, cut seven. And, and the Nazis, in my view, were thugs that shook people down and did a lot of really bad things. But they did good things, too. We're going to stop dissing the Nazis all the time. Okay. Alex Jones has built a brand, maybe some people say, or at least he's being asked to pay up a billion dollar brand. And in several instances there, Alex Jones, the man who has built himself up to be the craziest person in the room, that's his character. Oftentimes that Alex Jones plays, Kanye West at times made Alex Jones look normal and sane and competent for long stretches. Um, cut nine. Uh, so we're going to, I got to watch, I got to watch, uh, my accounts because they've been frozen by the Jewish, uh, banks. So I, I need to watch my mills. Well, CNN says why people are evil Nazis. So 
I mean, I, I, I disagree with both statements, but I get the yeah, Trojan. I don't, I don't like the word evil next to Nazis. I think we need to look at. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. Just because you don't like one group doesn't mean the other. But look, I fine. love Jewish people, but I also love Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well. Kanye West also claimed that Obama was another, quote, Jewish president, end quote. I'll leave you here with this last cut. 14. Let me just say this in closing. I've done a lot of study. I think Hitler was a really bad guy, and I repudiate what Hitler did. I understand that the British intelligence set him up and used I, him. I, I like Hitler. I, I don't like Hitler. And I know you're trying to be shocking with that. I'm not trying to be shocking. I like Hitler. I do not. I The, the Holocaust is not what happened. Let's look at the facts of that. And Hitler has a lot of redeeming qualities. So tell us, we you love, think we you think everyone. Hitler was the good guy in World War II? I think God says man should not kill. We should not have wars, period. None of us should be killing anybody. The Ukraine and the streets of Chicago, all violence should stop and we should all serve Christ. That's what I feel. Uh, there you have it. The man himself in his own words, uh, 866-957-2874 is the number to call. They gave you plenty to chime in on. And if you thought what you just heard from Kanye West was crazy, you would be correct. I honestly don't think your life is going to be changed all that much by it. Maybe you'll have a conversation around the water cooler, but your bank account won't change your ability to keep your business running or or expand it won't change your child's grades in school won't change i don't think your life is really going to be changed by what kanye west said or didn't say or whether or not as it appears he's been suspended from twitter from letting alex jones and holocaust denier nick fuentes tweet from his twitter account but your life might be changed by the fact that the boston city council especially if you live in boston approved a petition on wednesday to allow 16 year olds to vote in municipal elections as Alex Marlowe pointed out yesterday, the, the left has terrible arguments and they cannot win elections without cheating. And so now their campaign is to just find uh, the marginally informed or the ill-informed and, and to allow them to vote. At 16, did you know as much as you thought you knew about politics and the way of the world as you did when you were 32 or 64? <laughs> Lukowski, Breitbart senior legal contributor, gave us his analysis on the legal battles brewing over Biden's student loan forgiveness program, border and immigration policy, and so much more. As promised, Ken Klukowski, Breitbart senior legal contributor, one of the smartest legal minds in the country. Joining the program again. Good morning, Ken. Good morning, Jerome. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. And I, I'm glad that we have you. I wanted to have you. Uh, I, people reach out to me all the time whenever I'm blessed to host a show, fill in for Alex. And one person recently wrote me, Ken, how likely is it that the Supreme Court will finally kill off Biden's student loan forgiveness scheme? I heard that there will that the Supreme Court will hear arguments for and against it in February. Thanks. Uh, you are reporting as a matter of fact, that President Joe Biden suffered another court setback on his student debt transfer program, which multiple federal courts have blocked as illegal. Um, where are we now on this, Ken, and where do you see this going from here? Well, that's right. There's a host of legal challenges going on against uh, uh, President Biden's student loan transfer. And it's a transfer. It's not a cancellation. You know, the, the, the debt doesn't magically exist. It gets sent to someone else. And in this case, it's being sent to tens of millions of Americans who either never went to college or who paid their loans. So it's a wealth transfer. And it was done without any act of Congress. And so there's a host of lawsuits. Now, a number of those were thrown out correctly uh, because they were just brought by taxpayers and taxpayer groups sure. that said, I don't like how you're spending my tax money. The Supreme Court has been clear for more than for 100 years that Article three of the Constitution does not give federal judges the authority just to uh, decide taxpayer disputes against the government. 
but some of these groups that have been filed have uh, novel arguments, but interesting arguments for standing, uh, including, for example, states who actually process student loans in some states. The, the state government participates mm-hmm. in this, actually deprives them of some of their processing fees. So if you get past those issues and get to the underlying merits, uh, right now there are two federal appeals courts who have ruled against the program. Uh, as you say, that is going to be Supreme Court shortly. Uh, and it, you only need one of those court orders in place to block it. Even if one were to have ruled the other way or to be set aside or whatnot, you only need one valid and current injunction to block the federal government from doing uh, anything. So right now, the program is completely on ice. And now that you have two federal appeals courts who have said that, it's likely to continue that way until the Supreme Court hears it and decides it. You say, Ken, that it didn't pass Congress, but Joe Biden said a couple months ago that this loan bailout did pass Congress, quote, and I'm quoting here, Ken, by a vote or two, end quote. Uh, Now, who am I supposed to believe? You or the president? You know, I, I try to avoid snarky comments and, and, and disrespectful comments to, sure, uh, to sure. any sitting president. This is one of those moments where I don't know if he's just lying through his teeth or if he's honestly, like, really confused about yeah. this because there was no vote. Congress never acted. If he's referring to the 20-year-old law, that was that he invoked in his order to do this. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what the Supreme Court is going to hear. Uh, and the right decision will be to say that Congress's law 20 years ago, allowing the government to suspend or modify payments in response to like 9-11, that mm-hmm. that just doesn't mean you can cancel a half trillion dollars and transfer it to other Americans. So I, I hope that he just maybe misspoke. But I have to tell you, I am left I am nothing less than alarmed that the commander in chief of our armed forces seems to be remembering things that never happened. There was no congressional debate. There was no congressional vote. It was a stroke of the pen from him. Uh, And regardless of your politics, regardless of your party, all of us should be concerned if we think the president cannot remember basic facts. It's true. Um, Sad stuff. Um, where, what, in terms of the makeup of the of the people sitting, uh, the judges who are making these decisions. I mean, are we talking about Trump appointees? Are we talking about Bush appointees? Are we talking about Obama appointees? I, what I'm getting at is how have politics in the last few elections shaped the courts that are actually, you know, making the decisions on on this particular issue, the student loan bailout program. Well, this is where elections do have consequences. There you go. One of the courts that's one of the appeals courts that have blocked it is the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit. That is out of the 12 geographical federal appeals courts. That one, the Fifth Circuit, is the most conservative uh, in the country. Now, the panel that did it there, it was just an emergency stay application. But that panel was was two. Republican appointed judges, not both of them Trump, one Bush 43 and one Trump judge, uh, and then, but also one Democrat appointed judge. So it was a unanimous decision not to issue a stay. Uh, the other federal appeals decision came from the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Eighth Circuit that's based out of St. Louis, mm-hmm. and that is our second most conservative court. So these were two of our, two of our more conservative courts. Uh, and lastly on this, so Michael from Ohio asked me that question, but what I didn't say is that he's already paid off his student loan debt. So he feels as if he, he's he been wronged and bamboozled here, hoodwinked a bit. He, he kind of feels like a dupe, um, you know, and, and he's in he's in probably that class of people who who feel similar ways. Um, but there are people. Can people who heard that Joe Biden was going to do this and that Congress was not going to debate it. And as you said, that he was going to do it with the stroke of a pen who are sort of in limbo. Um, I mean, I, I don't really 
I don't really care that much. I mean, I care about the politics of this, but if you're a person who is maybe paying off your student loans and you're paying them off aggressively, um, or maybe you're a person who is paying the smallest amount possible, or you're a person uh, who isn't paying the student loans. I mean, just practically at this moment, I mean, how should those groups of Americans view this? Because they will be in limbo while the legal process plays out. Oh, they, they have every right to be infuriated. They're being abused by their government. Uh, it, we are a government of laws, not of men. Under our Constitution, our elected members in both houses of Congress yeah. make the law. The, 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 the job under the Constitution of our elected president in the millions of people who serve under him are to administer and enforce the laws that our elected lawmakers have actually passed. So he has every right to be furious that the president implemented socialism here by the largest, one of the largest, if not the largest, wealth transfers in all of American history yeah. and did it without even going through the legislative process. He has every right to be outraged because this is an illegal act that violates the president's obligation to take care that the laws be faithfully executed. That is the man himself, ladies and gentlemen, Ken Klukowski, Breitbart senior legal contributor. He has argued and won in front of the Supreme Court several times. Speaking of laws and fiat and us being a, a nation of laws, I open this program, Ken, with some horrific numbers that speak to a president in Joe Biden, a Democratic Party in which he is the leader of, and a homeland uh, Department of Homeland Security Secretary and Alejandro Mayorkas, who are doing the bidding of murderous Mexican cartels, who I submit are basically in control of our United States southern border at this point. We're talking about millions of illegal aliens being apprehended, tens of thousands of them getting away. Uh, and ultimately, the destruction of our country from small town to small town uh, commencing, uh, but there seems to be hope. As you report, the Biden administration argued in the Supreme Court uh, immigration case this Tuesday that states have no standing to sue the federal government over illegal immigration policy, and courts lack the power to strike them down anyway. Um, what is actually going on? Uh, you have you have state attorneys general. I believe I said that correctly, suing the Biden administration over the state's right and ability to actually implement uh, and, and enforce their own immigration law? Great question. Uh, first, a, a quick factual correction. I have uh, I've been in cases at the Supreme Court. I've been in the courtroom, as one of my colleagues have argued. I've not yet presented oral arguments myself before the court, though I've been in a number, uh, I've been with the lawyers on a number of for, successful Supreme Court cases. For, forgive I hope, me. I hope to have my time at or no, <laughs> no, no. I hope to have my I hope to have my opportunity at oral argument one day. But I, I just didn't want to claim a, a no, no, no. I forgive me and uh, no look. No that's good enough for me. Question. You were there. I, and, <laughs> and thank you. And thank you. Uh, 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 to your question. Uh, yes, under federal law, 8 U.S.C., Section 1226C, says that there are certain types of felons, pretty much uh, e illegal aliens who commit aggregated, uh, uh, aggravated felonies, where federal law says in that section that the government, upon arresting them, shall detain them, shall keep them in custody until they can be deported, until they can be removed. And uh, DHS issued a quote-unquote guidance memo hmm. where they say essentially, and they list a bunch of factors, but the bottom line becomes that unless based on those factors they determine that a particular felon is like a, a threat, uh, a real threat to public safety, then they just go ahead and let him go anyway. And so the states of Texas and Louisiana mm -hmm. filed suit, and then three dozen, Additional states joined them. I think there were 38 states in the uh, in the case before the court saying that shall means shall. And so they sued to get an order to strike down this policy. 
Uh, and the Biden administration came back with two claims that were even more shocking to me than the argument that somehow shall does not mean shall. I mean, you and I, I mean, it seems like basic grammar, but still, as they're trying to argue, just like it all depends on what the meaning of is is, now it all depends on what the meaning of shall right. uh, is. Their argument was, well, judges, you don't need to reach that decision. In fact, you can't, because these states just don't even have standing under Article 3 of the Constitution to bring suit. It goes back to like that taxpayer issue that we were discussing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. With, uh, with the student debt transfer. And they said, and besides, even if the states do have transfer, I'm sorry, do have standing, uh, that the federal law they're using, the Administrative Procedure Act, APA, 5 U.S.C., Section 706-2A, which is a a statute I have brought a number of lawsuits under and and have, have personally, well, as a practicing lawyer that I have sued using, that they're saying that that statute, that law, does not give judges the power to strike down agency actions. Maybe they can give individual relief to whoever is in the courtroom in front of them, but they can't strike down agency regulations. And the justices on both sides, across really across the whole judicial spectrum, uh, because Justice Jackson, our newest justice, expressed re- real shock, uh, I think, as to how that issue was put forward. The APA has been on the books since the 1940s. It is the basic law where Congress set the procedures by which any federal agency issues regulations or makes orders into who can challenge them and what courts can do. The whole framework of thousands of, of, of stories that all of our listeners have heard over all the years of their life, they're all based on the APA. And all of a sudden, the administration is saying that the past 80 years that courts have been striking down regulations, that's all been illegal. They don't have the authority to do that. And so it was a shocking argument hmm. of an imperial presidency where, where they are arguing we can do what we want. No one has standing to take us to court. And even if they could, the judges don't have power to strike down what we're doing. It was a, a, a law that is designed to ensure that the federal government is accountable to the people. Uh, it, they are saying cannot be used to hold the government accountable to the people so it was absolutely stunning uh and uh, and uh, it was a fascinating argument we should have a decision by the end of june kink lukowski joining the program right now breitbart senior legal contributor um lastly ken that last story if it relates how does it relate but are we just beyond the the power of states um, or governors, attorneys general to to try to 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 keep Title Forty Two implemented, or is this a done deal? There are no more legal battles to be to be fought, and the the Biden administration and Mayorkas's DHS will wind down the implementation of this sort of rapid expulsion of illegal immigrants um, through the CDC Title Forty Two order. Uh, are we just is is this? I mean, because this just seemed like the last thing holding back what is being reported as literally thousands of people just waiting for this order to to go away from just just as bad as the the border crossing numbers are right now. They are not as bad as the Mexican cartels uh, will make them when this order goes away. I mean, are we are we all out of of arrows in the legal quiver, if you will? Well, it's. When when the judge struck down Title 42 uh, and then the Biden administration refused to appeal, which is, which is a shocking way to you know, to try and get something struck down. There's a mm-hmm. policy in place from your predecessor. You don't like it. You don't want to go through the actual legal process to end it because yep. that, too, is subject to the same federal law, the APA. So it's just, well, if we don't file briefs to defend it, you know, we kind of lose by default. Obama did this. Obama did this. That is exactly right. Yeah. Yes. And and I believe when President Obama did it, that it violated his duty under the take care clause of the Constitution. I I published uh, an academic article back when that happened, making exactly that point. Uh, that is that both sides, our whole court system depends on both sides putting their best foot forward. <laughs> and then it's the courts who decide the legal question. 
but they can't do it if one side refuses to show up and fight, and so we never get a court decision. Right. The only way things could move forward, and I would need to check the docket. I didn't see anything filed along these lines. The only way Title 42 could survive would be if the sovereign states who were being adversely affected, if Title 42 would be lifted. And here you would be back to Texas, which has the, 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 the largest part, the largest portion of our, of our border with mm-hmm. Mexico. If they would file a, a motion to actually intervene on appeal, which is extremely rarely granted to allow a party to join once litigation is well underway, and then for the states to appeal on behalf uh, of, uh, uh, of, of the people to step into the shoes uh, of the federal government and to be permitted to file briefs and make arguments on behalf of supporting Title 42. Uh, I have not heard about that happening. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, and, and to be honest, I had not, I didn't do my research on that segment. So it's, um, so I don't know if, uh, when the filing deadline would be for that. But that is such an extreme long shot. Aside from that one issue, that one possibility of allowing someone else to step into the shoes of the U.S. Justice Department to uh, defend the policy, aside from that, it's, it's lost by default. No different than a baseball game. If, one of the, if in the fifth inning, one of the teams just, just walked off the field, got in their cars, and drove away. Right. It's like, what do you do at that point? You know, the, the game's over because someone just disappeared. Boy, I just, I just. It's frustrating. And millions of Americans I know were frustrated by that. Uh, Ken Klikowski, uh it's not always good news, but it's the most brilliant analysis on the news. We appreciate your time. Thank you, sir. Great to be with you, Jerome. This is the Breitbart News Daily Podcast. Thanks for listening.